Jack, so um, you'll be happy to know that this is the last one. Others have encouraged me, like, um, you know, this is the kind of thing you need to be doing. I already know that I have more stuff than this sermon than ever should be in a sermon, and it's Communion Sunday, so that even makes it shorter. Uh, But I wanted to put everything together. Every one of these points is a sermon itself. Here's what I want you to know. I have in my possession 22 pages of notes. You're not getting those. If you look at what I have here and you go, I'm not sure about that or I want to know more about that, send me an email. I'll send you 22 pages of notes. Okay, but you are not going to get hit with that. You are only going to look at the outline of those notes this morning. The reason we're doing that is because there is indeed a spiritual, spiritual dimension in government, in the political process. Remember, we are not talking about politics or candidates. We are talking about principles. I will hit each one of these very quickly. You'll notice there's um, 15 points to my sermon, and I've got less than a half an hour to do it in. So uh, each one is going to be bam, 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 right down the line. You may not catch it all. Uh, That's why I put it on a piece of paper and, again, made that available to you. One of the things that you know, and I do not take this back, but this is not the sermon today, is I normally encourage people that you need to look at the person's character. Sorry, folks, it's not a political statement, but I don't see much character whatsoever as I look around. So I'm not even going to talk about that today. I'm going to look at something. And if you notice, each point has a word in it, tending. In other words, leaning, kind of going that direction. That's what I want you to look at. I don't see anybody that um, represents the Bible in a way that is satisfactory to me, much less character. But the point is, all of us need to use what is available to us in a good, right, and proper way. That's good stewardship. I don't know if Peter mentioned this in the announcements or not, but on the Welcome Center, there are... Voter registrations, I'm going to tell you right now, and I'll tell you at the end of the sermon again. If you're not registered to vote, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, get registered to vote. If you're not going to be in town, we have absentee ballots. Uh, Dave John told me, he's the one that supplied them. He said, last election, Lindsay John, uh, Lindsay John their, their uh, daughter, actually voted from Japan by absentee ballot and got in on time and was counted. So it does make a difference. You might say, my vote, my one vote doesn't make a difference. Wrong. Oh, you could be right and say, well, what's one person make a difference out of millions and millions? Except that here's what I know. Those that claim the name of Christ, if you don't vote, you have apathy. I do not believe you are exercising good stewardship. Is God going to strike you with lightning? I don't think so. But here's what I do know, is that you're not using everything God has given you. And I believe, and I teach... That we are responsible and accountable for what's under our control. And we have an opportunity to have an input. Without a doubt, our big input as Christians and as a church is for the gospel. 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, encouraging people to trust Christ. No doubt that's the Great Commission. That does not change. That's not this sermon, though. This sermon says we have other responsibilities, other stewardships, and God expects us to use those also. They may be secondary to getting out the gospel and the truths of the Word of God, but nonetheless, they are still stewardships that are entrusted to us. You'll see a number of verses as we go through this that go in that direction. So, with that as a background, let's look at these uh, 14 points and then the conclusion uh, this morning. So hang on to your seats, fasten your seatbelt because we are going to roll. I will give a bunch of other Bible references and refer to them, but I just simply don't have time uh, to refer to all of them. Does the candidate tend toward pro-life? Here's what it comes down to. If all life is not valuable and sacred, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Why do we care about anything else if life isn't important? We believe the Bible teaches that life is important. In fact, is it says in Numbers chapter 35, verse 33, and, and partial. By the way, if you see three dots there, if you're not familiar, that simply means I left the part out. Please don't think I'm trying to tri- twist Scripture. Go back and read the whole thing. I'm just letting you know I didn't have space to put everything. So that's where that comes out. But here's what it comes. It says, you shall not pollute the land in which you're, you live, for blood pollutes the land. And no expiation... Uh, can be made for it. That word is a big word that I can't pronounce right, but it means this. There's no way to cover this over. There is no pardon from God for those that shed innocent blood. It means God won't condone it. There is no reconciliation. You cannot justify this uh, in any way, shape, or form. And God, according to this, this word says there's no forgiveness. You see, you have to make a choice. Anyone that tends in the direction of pro-choice, which means pro-abortion or euthanasia, there's a problem because they do not treat human life the way God says that it should be treated. In fact, as Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 says, God says, I am the one that takes life. I am the one that gives life. You don't get the opportunity to play God. He is God. And only he has that decision. That's number one. Number two. Does this person tend towards not traditional, but biblical marriage and family? There's a difference between the two. I stopped using the word traditional a long time ago because traditional can mean all kinds of things. But the biblical standard for marriage and family. Here's what it comes down to. From the very beginning, God made Family uh, made marriage and family. They were his choice, his idea. He makes the rules. From the very beginning, it said a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. Notice, there is a masculine and feminine there. It's not two feminine and two masculine words. It's simply this. God's idea of marriage is a man and a woman, a male and a female. There is no alternative definition for marriage. You already know I hate the term same-sex marriage because it's really not a marriage. It's something, but it's not a marriage. Not according to God 
And so we have a problem. Any candidate that is tending to change that is just plain flying in the face of what God says. And the second part is that it says, Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Any candidate that tends toward the idea of taking away the raising and the responsibility of children from the family, from the parents, is a problem. The parents are abusive. That's a whole different ballgame. That's a different sermon. But here's what it comes down to. The, whether it's the education or the training or the religious things in the family, the parents are the ones responsible. Anyone that wants to take that away and give it to the government or some other institution is going in the wrong direction. They're barking up the wrong tree. We need to make sure that marriage in the biblical sense, is encouraged. In fact, it's very clear that God says marriage is honorable. And those that are adulterers and fornicators are going to be judged by God. God has a very strict standard, and He expects that to be carried out. Anyone that minimizes those is not on biblical principle. Number three. Tending toward not legalizing addictive vices. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We live in a messed up world. (laughs) Let's face it. We don't need one more intoxicating or mind-fuzzying product that is going to change that and make it worse. We don't need people being taken up by the not prosecuting pornography. We don't need the government putting out one more lottery. Do you ever notice how many lotteries we got and all those things? Guess what? That is abusive of people. Who does it prey on? Young, naive, poor people that have no guidance. You know what? We have a responsibility of not putting those things before. Just like with abortion. You don't have to participate in abortion just because it's legal. But here's what happens. is when the government declares something to be okay, guess what? We have a next generation that says, oh, it's okay. And so it's like giving a license to it. Well, guess what? If the government is in the process of allowing legalization of of drugs, and they are, uh, then it says to the next generation, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad. And let's face it, they are the most vulnerable. And and with uh, gambling, who loses the most? The people that can afford it the least. That's just the way it comes down. We do have a responsibility. Unfortunately, uh, we see, and, and if you don't know this, medical marijuana. I'm not necessarily against medical marijuana. But here's the goofy thing. Think about this. They have just legalized in Pennsylvania dispensaries that only dispense one drug. You tell me what setup that is. <laughs> it's not like marijuana will be sold in a drugstore. No, it'll be in a dispensary. And that's the only thing they're going to sell. That's a setup for legalization of marijuana. They call it recreational. It Just take out the last part by rec, and that's what you got. The point is, we've just um, legalized additional sales of alcohol. You can buy it now as when it gets impl- in, implemented 
in a service station. Just think about this. You can buy a six pack of, you'll be able to buy a six pack of beer where you buy your gasoline. Boy, is that a recipe for really disaster. But you know what? Any candidate, I'm not just talking about president. This is an overall thing. But anything that abuses people, we need to make sure that Right, that we understand. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's the bottom line. If that's the only verse you knew, you could vote with biblical values in mind. Number four. And number five, they're really almost hard to separate, and I'm probably going to blur them together here this morning for the sake of time. But freedom of religion and freedom of speech are pretty much twins. Because if you don't have the freedom to speak, you're not going to have the freedom of religion. If you don't have freedom of religion, you're not going to have the freedom to speak. It's, it's both of them go together. In fact is, uh, if you notice, I use Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Never saw this before, but it simply says there, For the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, any time the government says you cannot say this, it's not politically correct. And I'm, I'm just ready to, you know, spit rivets, as they said in Pennsylvania Dutch. I don't know if you know that or not, but it just means you're just at your wit's end. It's like, oh, you can't say that because somebody might be offended. No, but it's true. See, we have to be able to say the truth, whether it's I can say the truth from the pulpit here. Or to my neighbor and tell them about Christ or about what the Bible says about something. I have to have the freedom to do that. The Bible absolutely promotes that in so many different ways. In fact, is one of them that I find very interesting is that uh, when Paul was uh, brought before the judge, he said, look, if this is a matter of your own laws and your own worship... I want nothing to do with it. Now, if he's breaking the law, that's a different story. But I don't want anything to do with it. Even the Romans understood that when a man worships, that's his privilege. What we say is a privilege. God makes it clear that anyone that suppresses people speaking the truth, that does not come from God. We need to be very careful uh, in that direction. We need to also, number six, tending toward not including gender identity and homosexuality as civil rights. These are, by biblical definition, choices that people make. I am not telling you that sin doesn't mess with the minds and lives of people. It absolutely does. But God is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that when he speaks of these things, he says, and such were some of you, past tense, but you were, uh, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Christ. There is the possibility of change. It is not a civil right. It is a matter of choice. Anyone, and by the way, I am now officially very politically on correct standing up here because homosexuality is kind of like water over the dam already. But transgender stuff, gender identity... That simply means, and, and this is a little bit, uh, I hope I don't offend anybody, <coughs> politically correct. Okay, no, but let's face it. Gender identity has nothing to do with your birth certificate. It has nothing to do with your genitalia. It has nothing to do with what you look like. 
It has to do with, I decided I want to be something I'm not. That's all it has to do with. It doesn't have any basis in reality. And yet it's being made a civil right. I don't know if you watch the news, but uh, you just are in the process of paying for someone in the military to have a sex change operation. If you haven't watched the news, go check it out. Uh, You're now, and we knew that. We predicted this back when this all started. It's going to happen. It has, and it will get worse. The point is, what are you looking at? Do we want our, if, if the company, uh, yeah, if the country keeps going down that direction and you don't vote, shame on you. Sorry, that's pretty, pretty blunt, but shame on you. Because you have an opportunity to speak up. And if you don't, by the way, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but not to vote is a vote. <laughs> you voted for apathy. I don't believe the stewardship that God has entrusted to us gives us the opportunity for apathy. And unfortunately, a vast majority of those who claim the name of Christ are apathetic. That's dirty business. I'm I'm washing my hands up. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm just going to tell you you've contributed to that mess. (laughs) At least if you vote, you've made your, your, your... Mind known. You've made biblical principle known. Fact is, I, I didn't cover this, but interesting. The Old Testament is very clear that it's not okay for a man to dress like a woman. It's not okay for a woman to dress like a man. You know, trying to blur the genders. That's not okay. The New Testament the passage already referred to in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that God is against homosexuality. That's pretty easy. And then it says effeminate. That's a much harder word because it's not used very often, so you can't kind of check it up. But it is used one place very distinctly. And it is this. Jesus is referring to John the Baptist and a king. He said, did you go out into the desert to see a man dressed in... Fine clothing. That's the word. That fine clothing, that soft clothing, is what a king wears. You didn't go out in the desert to see John the Baptist. He is Grizzly Adams by biblical style. You know, he's out there in the middle of nowhere. You didn't go out to see him dressed like a king. It would not be natural. It wouldn't be in keeping with who he is. Just like it wouldn't be in keeping with a king to be dressed like, you know, somebody from the backwoods. He says, that's it. It just doesn't match. Both Old Testament and New Testament say, it is not a place to be. Gender identity, by the way, is this for the schools. And I've got the letter sent to the principals of Pennsylvania from the White House is... A parent or a kid can go to the school and say, I am this... And you have to treat them like that. No surgery, no hormones, no nothing. Just, I, I want to be this and this is who I am. And now you have to abide by that. If you want a mess, you've just heard one. That is a mess. No way to get around it. Moving on, because I, I need to keep going. Those that tend toward capitalism. You go, hold it a second. I thought the Bible teaches socialism. If it's talking about you and me... We are to be the most caring, loving, and compassionate, giving, and helping people that the world has ever seen. 
That's me personally. The government is not that at all. That's not the government's function. The government is meant to protect the rights of those who own things. The rights of those who risk it all to make something. Those that take personal responsibility for their lives and their income and their well-being. That whole thing is, we call it free market system, you call it whatever you want to. But it's this, that prices are going to be not regulated by a few, that's socialism, and not controlled by all, which is totally fantasy of communism. Communism means in common. Those are not biblical principles at all. You see, from the very beginning, the Ten Commandments said, Thou shalt not steal. If everybody owns it, you can't steal, because it's not yours to start with. It is very clear in the Bible that we have a responsibility to provide for our own. We're accountable for ourselves. And no, nobody has to make up for you when you're lazy and don't care and don't use what God has given you. In other words, you need to be a good stewardship of everything God has given you. That's the biblical principle. On the other hand, it's absolutely encumbered upon us, if God blesses and there is a windfall from what we do, nothing wrong with wealth, but here's what God says. If you have, you are now responsible to use it wisely and to help others with yourself. But it's not up to the government to redistribute the wealth. That's for us to do. Moving on. Um, Toward sensible legal immigration. I already did that for a whole sermon. Simply this, countries have borders, countries have citizens, and there's a difference between the two. Citizens have rights. And here's the other thing. You go, yeah, but, yep, and the Bible does too. You know what? If someone is among you, it is very clear that you are under the laws of the country that you're a part of, where you are. You're under those laws. And as a result of that, if you do what is wrong, and, and I have it written there, and I, I don't have time to go into it, but you abide by those same laws. You don't bring laws from someplace else and say, okay, we're going to be here and we're going to go by our own rules. It doesn't work that way. Besides, if you're here illegally, you've already broken the law, so there's a real problem there. Point is, there's nothing wrong with immigration, legal and sensible, nothing wrong whatsoever. In fact, is I'm going to guess that most of you come from immigrants. The fact is, probably all of you do. Nothing wrong with that. But, just like there are no borders, there are no countries, there, I, have, I know we live in a global uh, economy, but a global society, a global government, a one-world government, that ultimately comes to the Antichrist. That's where it comes. Just like one-world religion comes back to the Antichrist. Those things are not biblical principles. And we need to understand. And by the way, uh, our whole country goes toward this socialism and this one world stuff. We need to be careful. We need to speak up. We need to take a stand on those kinds of things. Tending toward the right to defend yourself. I admire my... My respect is as high as it can get for those in law enforcement and those that protect us. The only problem is, when something happens, they're 15 minutes behind that. We need to know that there is a right to defend ourselves. 
You say, that's not biblical. Oh, absolutely is. Look at the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's clear. If somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night, remember, no lights here, no, no security lights and all those things. A person comes in just to rob you and they get killed. There's no blood guiltness. That's the verse I have there. The New Testament, when the apostles were going out, he said, you know what? If you have two coats but no sword, sell one of your coats and buy a sword. Whoa, I didn't know that was there. Well, it is. And guess what? They said, hey, we have two swords. The group of them said, we have two swords. I guess they were the bodyguards. He said, okay, two's enough for this group. The point is, there is a responsibility to protect life. Remember point number one? And I kept it for here. You see, protecting my life, or if I'm protecting someone else's life, that says life is valuable. The animals aren't running the zoo. Because at the point where it's like you're not allowed to defend yourself, the animals are indeed running the zoo. Yeah. Does it have to be controlled? Does it have to be used wisely? Absolutely. But the point is, anyone that wants to take away your right to defend yourself, that's tending in the wrong direction. National independence. God made it clear from the very beginning that we were to use the world and subdue it. Simply this. comes back to stewardship. I absolutely am... It's appalling where people just abuse the world and, you know, just dirty it up and abuse it and pollute it and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about at all. That's irresponsible. That's not good stewardship. But here is what good stewardship is. We're to do it. We are to use what we have. We are to use what is available for to meet our needs. That's what God intended from the very beginning. That we do that. Israel got themselves in a jam one time back in 1 Samuel. They got to the point where all the blacksmiths were Philistines. And they said, we're not going to allow the Israelites to have this technology because they'll make swords and spears. They might become strong. And so guess what? Israel became totally dependent. They had to beg the Philistines just to sharpen their farm equipment. That's how bad it got. The point is, we are to be good stewards of everything God has given us, not just some things. We need to be good stewards. Again, you might go, I don't know if I know. Just ask for my notes. You can read it all for yourself because there's way, way more than this. Toward justice. The verse that I have here is pretty much self-explanatory. We're not to pervert justice. False charges? Absolutely wrong. Killing the innocent or the righteous, absolutely despicable. Acquitting the guilty, just as bad. Justice needs to be exactly that. Those that are doing right, that's what it says. For the praise of those who do what is right. But also for the punishment of those who do evil. We saw that in the very first sermon I preached. God saying... You cannot let people get away with what is illegal, immoral, and harmful to other people and just look the other direction. On the other hand, you cannot come down hard on those that are doing the right things. That's real justice. And we need to go in that direction. Tending toward a conservative part of the law and you go, oh, now you're in politics. Nope, I'm going back to 
principle. Conservative as it is used today. It may have been used different eons ago. But today, conservative simply means this. That you believe there is a God who gave absolute rules and we are preserving those rules. Our government was based on a lot of those things and we are eroding those things away. You see, if you believe the Bible is the final authority, then there are absolutes. And those absolutes need to be carried out or conserved, if, if you will. That's the direction that I believe we want to go. Remember, you say, well, how do we do that? The verse that I use many times, and if you want to keep one verse in mind of all this voting stuff... It's First Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. Because it says there that and Israel was giving them a king. His name was Saul. He was not the greatest king in the world. And he said, you know what? If I give you a king, there's going to be a lot of bad things happen. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you do what I have asked you to do, you obey my voice, then you and the king will prosper. You see, we have a responsibility to those around us and toward um, government to preserve those things which are godly. And if we don't stand up as Christians, we have given a vote to somebody else who says we're going to do whatever we want. We're going to change the law and get away from God. Tending toward a limited government. The family has rights. The church has rights. Yeah, the government has a place. They all do. But it's limited. It is not unlimited. The government is not the overall. The one that has all the rules and all the responsibility. In fact is, you might find that uh, when you go to 1 Kings, Rehoboam was uh, Solomon's son. He was the one to take over. And when he started to take over, he went to his young friends. And they said, you know what? You need to really put the law down and you've got to squish people. And he agreed with them. And the older folks said, don't do it, don't do it. Because if you serve the people, remember, he's the next king. If you serve the people, they're going to serve you forever. You will have. They were saying, no, no, government should be a servant of the people. By the way, New Testament says a minister of God. Yeah, that's a biblical principle. Government is not to oppress but to serve the people. He didn't do that, and you know what the end result was, don't you? The kingdom split. And uh, after that, it was a mess. But the point is, they, uh, we need to see that. One last thing. I support for Israel. I've already covered that through the book of Genesis several times. But simply this. Does Israel do everything right? The, the answer is absolutely no, they don't. Are they right with God? Absolutely, they are not. In the vast majority. But here's what I know. God has given them a piece of land. He's given them a people. And he said, this is their land. We need to uh, side in that direction. Tend in that direction. Because guess what? God said that if we bless Israel, Abraham's seed, he will bless us. If we curse them, if we're against them, he will curse us. Um, I've already covered that many times, so I'm not going to go over it. What are the conclusions? Well, we already know. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you don't use what God has given you, you have just put a bushel over your light and you've thrown the salt on the manure pile. That's what it says there, the trash pile. And it also says that uh, 
Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If we don't stand for righteousness, why would we expect our leaders, our government, to stand for righteousness? If we don't vote, let's face it, you're not only voting for a president and and other things. uh, When you vote for a president, you get everything that comes with that. For example, the next president will probably uh, appoint two or three Supreme Court justices. And if you go back to that one about conservative view of the law, you're going to find out that that is huge. It's probably more important than even who's in the Oval Office. But the point is... That last one, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king, president, senators, representatives, doesn't matter, judges, who reign over you will follow the Lord your God. See, if we don't do what we have to do, they go, we can do whatever we want. Apathy is a vote for exactly that. Do whatever you want because we're not going to hold you accountable. We have a stewardship. We need to exercise that stewardship. You might say, okay, that's the end of the sermon. You might say, so why did you preach that sermon when we're doing communion? It just worked out that way. But here's what I do know. I already said this. We have a stewardship. That stewardship is to get the gospel out of the church. That's our responsibility, and government should never curtail that. We have a responsibility of living a holy, righteous life. Living a life worthy of what Christ has done for us. That's a stewardship that we have. We proclaim, according to 1 Corinthians chapter, we proclaim his death until he comes. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. You see, when we partake of this, we are proclaiming Christ is my Savior. He has changed my life. Things are different. My life is worth living. If not, we're a hypocrite. We have other responsibilities and other stewardships also. But those stewardships are not the main one we have. But here we look at this and we are reminded once again. Because we have short memories. We need to be reminded over and over again of what Christ has done for us. So indeed, we will live a life of stewardship, of responsibility, of accountability, not only before God, but before the world around us. As the men come forward, I encourage you to bow your head. If you know there's something wrong in your life and you're not right with God, get it straightened out. If you need to go to somebody afterwards, make that vow before God that you're going to get on the phone, go to their house, get that straightened out. But you know what? If you don't want to deal with it, I'm not going to look over your shoulder and neither is anybody else going to tell you, but don't participate because the Bible's very clear that if we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, an unexamined life, that we, we eat and drink judgment onto ourselves. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you, but he, what he does want is you to be right with him and right with others. I'm going to ask Mike Crick if he would thank the Lord.